0: The podcast you are about to hear is about raising kids, but there are curse words here and talk of grown-up things. So, make with the headphones.
1: Welcome to Tantrum. My baby pooped in the bathtub, and while I was getting the cleaning supplies while also wrangling my wild two-year-old, the dog ate it. This is maybe the most grateful I've ever been for our dog. While simultaneously completely grossed out and disturbed, (laughs) Tantrum is a podcast for grown-ups about raising kids. I'm Allison. And I'm Kate. Today, Jamie Allen tells a story about a miserably hot summer day with his kids and offers up some advice.
2: Talk to your kids about curse words, and uh, otherwise they'll go off to college, and they'll say something like, sunny bitch, (laughs) and then their friends will make fun of them forever,
1: Have you made my t-shirt yet that says Sunny Bitch? I am so working on it because that's what we need. You'll hear that whole story in just a bit and you'll know what Allison is talking about. But Allison, it is time for a parental moment of glory. This is where we ask you to share a moment of parenting hilarity, brilliance, failure, or discovery. Those moments that other people who raise kids get because we've all been there okay have i ever told you how um on alice's
0: second day of kindergarten we were literally walking up the stairs into the school alice being your your stepdaughter your husband's daughter and she has a little dress on and i just thought to ask alice you have underwear on don't you and she looked back at me shook her head just kind of like are you asking me this
1: maybe she goes commando like laurel snyder if she's just like oh, on a drive somewhere like gosh from our she, last I mean, podcast
0: she can do that when she grows up they all sit crisscross applesauce that's what they call it now because oh you, yeah you can't say indian, you can't say indian style, style I, now,
1: yeah.
0: I mean that's how they sit and i was like we're gonna have to tell your teacher and and i'm gonna have to take you home and we'll come back and Suddenly she was in this panic about having to have the teacher find out that she did something wrong. But luckily, her teacher was just like, you know, one of those miraculous human beings who teaches kindergarten. She's like, oh, we have extra packs of new underwear here. All kinds of things happen all the time. And I was like. So so she went to like the underwear closet essentially. that she just has for I little mean, girls? Yeah, she just took that Alice's creepier than it <laughs> meant. hand and like, you know, she's like, oh. This is no big deal. I have what we need here. Yeah, it was more that it was that I was gonna tell the teacher she'd done something than it, than that she knew that you shouldn't show your coochie to the entire school. But does she call it a coochie?
1: Mm-mm, no, she doesn't. She uh, what pro- does she proper call it? Anatomical words, or uh, I think so. You know, that's what I want to do. But at Bird's daycare, they call his bottom a bum bum. And for some reason, that bothers me. And John thinks it's hilarious and like bum kind bum. of cute. But like for some reason, I don't know. Bum bum. It's just so dorky. You don't want him going around being like,
0: my bum bum. You know? <laughs> you want to look out for him. You want him to be kind of cool.
1: Yeah. Or maybe that I was raised in Pittsburgh, and there everyone calls um, people's butts bums. Like, it's what they say. So some part of me... I think actually associates it with like people with heart with really strong Pittsburgh accents being mm-hmm. like, um, "like I'm gonna slap your bum," you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I just don't want to. I don't want to. It feels be trashy to you. That's what you're trying to say, <laughs> but you're afraid to. <laughs> Tantrum. Where we unpack what we're most afraid of. Where were we? Parenting moments of glory. Right. So maybe you have a story. <laughs>
0: Oh, this is cute, though. Merit, she likes to hand me the toilet paper while I'm going to the bathroom. And she said, for the first time, it was a few weeks ago, she goes, towel for pee-pee? I was
1: like, yes, I do need a towel for pee-pee. So you're, like, training her to be a bathroom attendant. I totally am. Like a very advanced one. Because I don't know any bathroom attendant that actually would do that. Because that would, yeah. Yeah. So if you've got a story like any of these, call 678-379-3748. At our live
0: shows, we ask audience members to share them, too. So let's hear a couple from our July show at Carvana.
1: It's time for a parenting moment of glory. So... Yes, this is mine. Um, This is our kid's high chair. Okay,
0: so at the live show, we showed overhead a photo of Kate's son's high chair. And it's sort of a um, brownish
1: tan color, I guess. Right. Um, And you may be asking yourself, is that really dim lighting? No, it's not. That's the color of filth. Um, For contrast... I found a photo. I found a photo of his chair online, and at one point it apparently looked like that. So now you have these two
0: photos side by side, and one is your brownish high chair, and the other is the gleaming white one.
1: We got it as a hand-me-down, though. Okay. So, and I've tried to clean it. We both tried to clean it. The cover doesn't come off, and so. But that's my only excuse. It looks like that now. Um, that like, that, like, I don't know, is that, like, spaghetti sauce? I don't know. It's just there. And um, so our child, whom we love, who is the light of our life, uh, sits in filth at every meal. I'm so proud.
3: And we have, another, uh, we have another phone call to listen to as well. Hi, my name is Brittany, and this is my moment of parenting glory. Uh, so I was out on a walk with my uh, six-and-a-half-year-old stepson, And we came across a fledgling baby bird, Um, but it was stuck in the road. It was trying to get over the curb and it couldn't Mm -hmm. get up. I couldn't do anything (laughs) because my dog wanted to eat it. Um, And my son's not strong enough to hold the dog himself. So after thinking about it for a second, I said, Benji, go over to that bird, scoop it up and set it in the grass. And he was like, okay, he loves animals. So he went over to it and you know, bless his heart. He, he, he wanted to do the right thing. He just was a little hesitant. So instead of scooping it up, he just kind of scared it and it kind of went hop, hop, hop into a sewer drainage grate. So he looks at me and I was like, uh, and he says, is it okay? And I said, well, yeah, maybe he's crying already. So I'm saying, you know, it's okay, we tried to do the right thing, I'm sorry, it didn't work out. So we walk home, we get in, his dad's here, by now he's sobbing, sobbing, crying, you know, feeling like he killed this baby bird. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take this Tupperware container, and I'm going to take some yarn, and I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to drop it down, I'm going to get the baby bird in, I'm going to bring it back up, okay? And he was like, you are? And I said, yeah. And his dad said, do you want me to come with you? And I said, no. So I I went back over there with a flashlight, and I looked down. It wasn't down there. So I hung out there for a few minutes, and then I came home, and I said, I did it. (laughs) And he said, you did? And I said, yeah, I got it out. And so for the rest of that weekend, he kept talking about how I was that bird's hero. I felt bad for making him do it in the first place, and then I felt bad about lying to him, but I feel like in the end... Probably the right thing to not make him live with that guilt for the rest of his life. <laughs> That's my parenting moment of glory. Thanks.
1: Ah, uh, the lies we tell. Yeah. <laughs> this shows about a lot of, like, reckoning, isn't it? Like, the, our, our our filthy high chairs and the lies we tell our kids that, we, I mean, she was forced into a corner. She kind of had to. Otherwise, her kid was going to just be, like, miserable.
0: Yeah. There's a time and place to learn all kinds of lessons. Some things you don't get to choose. Most things you don't get to choose. But some of this stuff, you can can learn some of the hard lessons just a little later in life. If your mom is willing to
1: tell a huge,
0: huge lie.
1: And I mean, but that was sort of a tough lesson for her. I mean, that was like advanced level parenting there. To be faced with that decision in that moment. What to do. And she like MacGyvered that shit.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So Mm -hmm. a crown for that collar, a crown for Brittany. I'm impressed. You can share your story of the lie you had to tell to your child or any other parental moment of glory by calling 678-379-3748. Our next live show is Saturday, September 10th. You can also share it in writing there. Meantime, let's hear our featured story of parenting adventure. This is Jamie Allen, whom you may know from the Squirrel Census, which is his brainchild. And if you don't know about the Squirrel Census, I did just say the words Squirrel Census. Go up and ask him after the show. It's really cool and strangely beautiful. You may also know him from his great writing in The Oxford American, McSweeney's, The Missouri Review, Grantland, and other places. He has two kids, a 17-year-old daughter who's headed to New York City for college, and a 14-year-old son who's starting high school. Please welcome Jamie Allen.
2: Thank you, Kate. Thank you for putting on this event. I mean, like, why? Why do parents, why, why in the creative world do young people put on readings when they have absolutely nothing to say, <laughs> and then parents, like, go away after a while, and that's where all the stories are at right there. Um, so I'm really happy you're doing this. Um, also, um, slightly serious note in light of all the crazy things that are going on in the world today, it's important to, I think, put on events like this, um, share stories with each other, um, interact with each other just so we know that most of us are pretty sane and good people. So thank you for continuing to do this. Thanks. Nice. Um, I, I w- <clears throat> My kids are here, by the way, so I can embarrass them. Uh, <laughs> they're over there. Um, on the on the promotion of the event it said um, you know leave your kids at home because there's gonna be adult language and I was like <laughs> <laughs> That's not, that's not my kids, it doesn't matter with them and um, I've always taken a, uh, um, the angle that if you tell somebody not to do something then they're going to want to do it more and so that includes curse words and so with my kids, you know, it's kind of like the Voldemort angle, like Harry was never afraid to say Voldemort and everyone else was and it gave Voldemort this power this rhetorical power um, and I feel the same way about you know, fuck and shit and all the cuss words that we can think of. And so I had this rule with my kids. We read Harry Potter. And we had, I had this rule with my kids. Only in the car. Only in the car when we're driving. And for two minutes, you can say all the curse words you can think of. And it was like um, Tourette's, kind of like. <laughs> um, and, but it also, like I would say, go. And then they would start. And my, my daughter, you could see the different personalities. My daughter would kind of go, Shh, Shit. Fuck. And then my son, who was like five at the time, would just be like, Shit, fuck, damn, bitch. Sonny bitch. And I was like, no, no, son. It's son of a bitch. (laughs) And his eyes lit up, and it's like, Oh, that makes so much more sense. (laughs) So, um, I guess the takeaway from that is, uh that talk to your kids about curse words, and uh, otherwise they'll go off to college, and they'll say something like, Sonny bitch. <laughs> and then their friends will make fun of them forever, and so you're welcome, son. <laughs> um, I'm going to read a story now. It's, um, it was uh, published last summer in Oxford American on the website, um, and it's about a family trip we took uh, a couple of years ago. It's called Incident at the Hemingway House. Uh, last, last Two summers ago, I took my two teenage kids down to Florida to the Keys. When we checked in at the airport in Atlanta, an airline employee made an embarrassing breach of etiquette, eyeing the three of us, our broken little unit. She said, are we missing someone? Experience with the salty symptoms of having a perennial single pop- father, my kids quickly explain the situation but as we walked to the gate we came up with a plan in case anyone asked that stupid question again first I'd do my best to appear as though I'm about to cry (laughs) my daughter would then say mama got taken in the rapture (laughs) she didn't we're still good friends And my son would then explain our religious affiliations. Ultimately, the questioner would be left with the harshest truth of all. We were the ones left behind. (laughs) That's the kind of vacation we were having. Family antics, a week in the Keys with Nana and my sister, my brother-in-law, a family friend, a nephew, a grandnephew. Late June, boating in the Atlantic, the sun burning down on an infinite blue horizon. Frozen drinks for survival. You could set your clock by the late afternoon thunderheads rising up. All of us were packed into a house on the water on Isla Morada, and Nana had to sleep on the bottom bunk. Each morning, she conked her head, getting up, and still, every night, she refused to take another bed. My brother-in-law, Captain Gary, was in charge of the fishing, and he fought a losing campaign to keep bananas off the boat. Everyone knows their bad luck. Even a tube of banana boat sunscreen found in the cooler didn't go over well. When the calendar turned the page to the patriotic month, July, the breezes died and the air boiled, and I decided to drive my kids to Key West for a day. We were 90 miles from Cuba, blocks away from Hemingway's old digs. I remember the sound of my daughter's sun-weakened voice as we stumbled on the sidewalk near the southernmost point of the United States, sweat streaming from our faces. It's so hot. She appeared on the verge of dying. Sun, too, usually game, had a look on his face that said, what in the holy hell are we doing out in this heat? A short while later, we stood in the palmy backyard of the Hemingway House with 20 or so other damp tourists. No air conditioning in sight. We distracted ourselves from the heat by counting six-toed cats and listening to the tour guide who gamely sported a Hemingway-esque white beard. He had already escorted us through the main Spanish colonial house, which featured many pictures of Hemingway at various stages of his famous life and a few original pieces of furniture, including Hemingway's bed. While the guide told us the story about the origins of the bed's headboard, a shameless cat lay sprawled on its back right in the middle of the duvet, (laughs) legs spread wide. There are times when the number of jokes running through one's head is astonishing. I saw in the eyes of others my age the same inner debate over whether they should nail the greatest Hem- Hemingway pussy line ever <laughs> or just mine manners. <laughs> in the end, we stayed quiet. Back in the courtyard, my daughter again communicated the, the effects of the temperature. Can we go? She asked. Where are we going to go? I said. It's everywhere. <laughs> Behind the tour guide, a rectangular pool shimmered blue and cool. The guide told us it was once the largest pool in all of Florida, and it cost more than the mansion itself. Hemingway's wife, Pauline, commissioned the pool without Hem's permission when she found out he was sleeping with the journalist Martha Gellhorn while reporting the Civil War in Spain. When he came home, he found the swimming pool in the courtyard where he liked to host his neighborhood boxing matches. He had a little temper tantrum right there where we were standing. Why don't you go ahead and take my last red cent, he reportedly shouted at Pauline, pulling a penny from his pocket and throwing it down. And there, the Hemingway House tour guide said with a knowing flourish, was the very penny embedded in the concrete. <laughs> Pauline had saved it under glass or amber or something, a last word in an argument if there ever was one. There was light laughter. Family memories, you know. <laughs> The guide asked our group to move to a different part of the courtyard for another Hemingway story and more cat appreciation. As we shuffled along, I noticed a quick movement in my periphery, followed by a sound, the sound of a cannonball going off. Not the wartime kind, but the best kind, a cannonball into the pool. Somebody from that group over there had broken free and smashed the sacred Hemingway waters. We all gasped and stretched the sea. It was some kid, a male teenager, not mine. We, the crowd, made mob sounds that were like the opposite of the vocalizations you make when you see fireworks. Anti-oo's and anti-ah's. <laughs> oh, my God, my daughter said. That was stupid, my son observed. Fucking kid, I might have said too loudly. The heat had gotten to us. We hated that boy. He broke the rule that we all wanted to break, but were too chicken to. We hated him because he stole our idea. The Hemingway bearded tour guide turned to us on dry land and hands open in a disbelieving pose provided a clarification. That's a real no-no, he said. (laughs) During World War II, Hemingway had some time to himself. Gellhorn, who who he married, was covering the atrocities in Europe. Jealous of her career advancements, alone at his new place in Cuba, probably bored out of his mind and slightly sun-poisoned Hemingway, outfitted his beloved fishing boat, Pilar, with machine guns and patrolled the Florida Florida Straits looking for German (laughs) U-boats. To be clear, he hoped to come across a Nazi sub and shoot it. Why not? In his life, he'd shot lions, engaged in affairs, picked fights, generally drank too much, and infamously did not mince words. We know this, which is to say... Hemingway would never utter the phrase, that's a real no no. <laughs> the boy climbed out of the pool, his plaid boxers peeking out from his soaked, baggy shorts. He dripped all over the place as he retrieved his shirt and flip flops, full of pride until he saw us sneering at him. His father turned away from the scene, perhaps so he wouldn't throttle his air. His sisters tried not to giggle. Security arrived. And when the boy attempted to hand his dry shirt to his mother, she held up her hands to him. The universal sign of all mothers everywhere, I hereby disown you. (laughs) He was escorted off the premises. Later, we wandered to Mallory Square for sunset. With the air cooling ever so slightly, and with the aid of cold drinks, a lazy rationality set in. Cannonball didn't seem so bad. Maybe he's the only sane one, I thought Maybe he was just acting in that hot moment as his own Hemingway Separating himself from the wearisome masses Can you believe that kid jumped in the pool? I said to my kids I think he might be a hero They made noises and faces to indicate they did not agree (laughs) Then, up ahead, we saw him Walking towards us, still slightly soggy Reunited with his family No handcuffs, mom owning him again Dad probably wondering where to get a beer. (laughs) There he is, I said, pointing. Dad, my daughter said, mortified. His younger sister saw me and beamed. Hi, she said. (laughs) Memories, particularly with loved ones, are a curious phenomenon. The good ones don't fully announce themselves as anything close to good when they are happening. It's only after the event when a new perspective is gained that they become an accepted or funny or weird or sweet episode in family history. When I was 13 on a summer family trip in Maine, we stopped at a small town gas station and I used the bathroom. When I tried to leave, the door wouldn't open. I was locked in. I yelled for help, and my family gathered outside. The owner of the gas station retrieved a ladder. He told me to stand in the bathroom corner, and he knocked out the glass above the door and tried to stuff the ladder in. It wouldn't fit. There was talk of breaking down the door, calling the fire department. That's when I turned the doorknob the opposite direction I'd turned it before. It opened. As my sister, her boyfriend, the future Captain Gary, and my friend cackled with delight, and as the gas station owner realized what had happened, my parents told me to get in the fucking car... I did <laughs> and we peeled out of there <laughs> I suppose what I'm saying is in the brutal heat of last summer that kid cannonballed in Hemingway's pool we didn't and the rest is family history thanks
1: Well, that's it for Tantrum. Seriously, we want to create a real-life parenting community that you are a part of. Please join us on Facebook at Tantrum ATL. Tweet at us at Tantrum Atlanta. Share this podcast with all your friends. But most importantly, come out to be part of our next live show. This is about being in a room together and creating community, all those good things Jamie Allen talked about. It's Saturday, September 10th at Kavarna in Decatur, Georgia. There you will be reminded that raising kids
0: is fun,
1: yet hard. Raising kids is life changing, and yet brain rotting. This isn't easy, and you are kicking ass. Until next time, I'm Allison Harney. And I'm Kate Sweeney. Thanks to Jeffrey Butzer for letting us use his song, Catherine, for our music. And thanks to Mike Johns for recording the live show at Kavarna. I'm so excited. I think you're hear Mary crying in the
0: background, possibly.
1: Oh, I cannot. Okay, good. Do you need to go tend to her? Oh, now I hear her. Yeah, I can see if David can wake okay. up and be a father. <laughs> <laughs>